Street Talk by Franklin Street provides real-time expertise navigating the trending topics of today's commercial real estate markets. Episodes feature industry insiders in dynamic conversations hosted by Franklin Street CEO and managing partner, Andrew Wright. Exciting episode today. We have with me Pat Kelly, a managing director here at Franklin Street. Pat is a sixth-generation Floridian and has been in the real estate business for over 30 years. His experience spans many different business lines from brokerage and leasing to property management and development, and has been recognized in our community as uh, one of the most knowledgeable icons in the real estate business, uh, which was reflected in his induction into the NAOP Hall of Fame several years ago. Uh, So I'm excited to have him, a wealth of knowledge. Pat, thanks for joining me. My pleasure. Well, we're gonna get get right into it. Our, Our topic today, we're gonna be focused on the uh, office, the, the tenant landlord negotiation, but really focusing on it from uh, the landlord perspective. And and with that, we've been doing this for a little while now, Pat, in terms of COVID and starting to see the outpat, uh, uh, the impact. What type of rent relief requests are you seeing today, both in terms of what's being asked for and what's actually being agreed to? And are you starting to see the market evolve to a norm? Well, first off, I think in answering the question, we have to uh, divide the market up a little bit, especially on the office sector, uh, meaning core and non-core assets. Uh, What we have observed first and foremost going in was an ask uh, for effectively a 90-day deferral, but we actually saw that occurring more in the non-core type properties because if you were to check with a lot of the core, which are more institutional owners, what you're going to hear uh, is more often than not, their rent rolls are pretty solid. The tenants have continued to pay rent. And in very few exceptions, have they actually been giving 90 days or any relief at all. If you will go over to the so-called non-core, which you may have more small business involved in, that is that point in time when you're going to be seeing some folks uh, that have been asking for the rent. And if you do a survey, as I have done, Uh, with a few of the uh, more portfolio type owners of AB in the town, uh, meaning Tampa Bay, uh, what I am hearing is that maybe 10% of the rent roll uh, qualifies uh, for some sort of rent deferral. The other 10% are people who are kind of fishing to see if in fact they can get some sort of deferral. But once they are asked to provide basic information, they apparently go silent. So that translates to the fact that between 80 and 90 percent of the tenants have continued to pay rent at least for the past 90 days. The next 90 to 120 uh, we are all going to look at um, with a lot of caution. So maybe a a little bit of a norm as you you dive into the different sizes or structures but I mean tenants are under a lot of pressure. I mean they 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 really want to get these modifications done so you're talking about you know the, the the document requests and what and whatnot. And being that they are so individualized, right? Not all tenants are in the same position. Uh, you know, modifications, it's, there's not really a one size fits all. Some might need more, some might need less. Uh, how, how do you see the, you know, that the timing of it and, and how that has evolved? Well, I think it breaks down to what I just uh, suggested. And that is that there are a variety of what I would call more private landlords uh, that recognize their rent rolls well. They understand their tenancy well. They were very proactive and sitting in front of their tenants to understand how they could help and better understand what the future is really going to be. And therein lies one of the bigger problems because the future is very fluid at this moment. And that's why I brought up earlier the next 90 to 120 days is going to be very, very telling. Remember, we are now about to start coming off of the paycheck um, 
program, the, the PPP, where is the small business going to fit over the next 90 to 120 days? And is this constant forbearance and rent deferment going to be uh, continued to be allowed? A lot of flexibility at this moment in time, but I'm not too sure that's going to remain that way for the remainder of the year. Time will tell. You know, I've said it on other episodes, and I just think back to the, the downturn, you know, the banks telling all their, their, their clients, I'm your bank, I'm not your partner. And so that, that line seemed to resonate today where I'm your landlord, I'm not your partner. And you just said it, right? The PPP program's going away. Some of the, the stability that's been infused to help kind of get us through this initial uh, or over this initial hump uh, is going to be burned out. So it'll be interesting if you're, if you're making a modification, how are you dealing with the follow-up of the tenant? Maybe their financials look okay today, but you know, do they have more problems six months down the line, nine months down the line? Is it a good thing for me to continue to kick that can down the road or do I you know, take my remedies now? How do you, how do you look at you know, those individual tenant situations? Well, this is where solid property management comes into play, staying in touch with your tenants on a very regular basis. And uh, hopefully the, the tenants are being honest uh, about where their business model is and where it goes. But let's not forget that every tenant, no matter how big or small or whatever, their survival is clearly based on the people they do business with. And so this is the domino effect that we are unsure of. So if the, uh, the business model is set up in such a way that it is very fragile with who those people do business with, then uh, we're in for some interesting times moving ahead. Thus far, um, modifications have been easier to get because it's quite candidly been bad form to tell a tenant they're not going to give them anything. And so, you know, you don't want to read about yourself in the newspaper on these sort of things. And so this is a, uh, but like we said before, the federal government is highly involved here in multiple ways, including the regulatory part with the banks. So how long will they, in fact, allow the banks to continue to do this before somebody puts their foot down? And so uh, that's why this is fluid. That's why this changes on a weekly basis. So I think that's an important point there that you raised that, that maybe I'd expand on a little bit is the, reg, the bank regulators have given direction to the banks that they are able to forbear payments for up to six months and that they're not going to you know, scrutinize those too much. Uh, and so that has you know, extended a lot of flexibility in the banks to not necessarily give it to everybody everywhere, but at least to be able to understand those circumstances and work through them. That, I think that's an important specific point as you talk about now, does that continue? Does that dry up? I think that starts to dry up. At some point, we have to see the carnage of what's gone on and, and turn the page. So that brings up another point. You, you said the property management, you know, having good property management is key. And I think that's true. Your representation is so important right now. You got to know every detail everywhere. You got to be proactive and talking with your tenants, your clients. Uh, on both the landlord and tenant side. But that brings up an interesting point. If a real estate person is representing a, a client in that negotiation, right? Whether that be on behalf of the landlord talking to the tenant, delivering them the news that they're not getting necessarily what they asked for, or the tenant having a representative that's a real estate company that you know may or may not be being paid as a percentage of that relief. You know, how should you know both the market at large view that uh, and you know as well as the tenant and landlord side? I think you keep the math simple. If I'm a landlord and I'm giving away uh, some sort of a rent deferment, and let's call it 90 days for conversation purposes, then at some point in time, I need to recover that. 
we have clients, by example, that are taking those three months and effectively dividing by 12 and then recovering it over the next 12 months. Uh, we have others that are simply adding three more months to the back end of the lease. From my personal perspective, hopefully not in getting in trouble with any tenant reps, that is a non-commissionable occurrence. Uh, however, if part of the negotiations uh, adds more term to the lease in every respect, uh, then yes, that becomes a commissionable situation that I think most landlords would agree with. So it's, it's got to net out properly. And I think if anybody's attempting to get a commission quite candidly, just because of rent deferments and this, that, and the other, then as a landlord, I think I might reject that. All these modifications are going to be going on, and uh, that that certainly is going to impact the transaction market and how you know, buyers and sellers may view these blips or these adjustments along the way. How do you think the market's going to perceive them, both from a banking and financing perspective, and and but also from the the buyer cap rate, the the whole capital markets piece? Let's uh, at this moment in time dial in the other side of the debt market besides the banks, because the banks are heavily regulated in a totally different way. Uh, however, the securitized loans are in a different world of their own, which is effectively bonds. And you are now dealing with a totally different group of folks uh, that are known as special servicers. And those special servicers, once they get into the world of a loan that's in the technical default or whatever, uh, their motivations historically, and we saw this from 07 through 12 substantially, uh, their motivations seem to be different than the banks. It doesn't seem to be as warm and fuzzy. It seems to be a little bit more adversarial. I'll add the insurance companies to this conversations as well. They generally have a very much of an open door policy to come in and talk about fixing things. Now, to valuation and cap rates and such, if I'm an investor, am I looking to the future where there's gonna be some rent compression and how can I get my arms around that? And I'm gonna to have to pencil that into my Argus model somehow. And that's a difficult one today. I talked to a core landlord two hours ago and his rents are holding up nicely, thank you, but he doesn't have a clue what they're gonna look like in 12 months. All that goes to somewhere between cap rate, rollover, all the, the assumptions that are dictated in a Argus model. And yes, the model will change. And I do not think that it's going to necessarily be as aggressive out there, even though the biggest difference in this particular cycle from the last is that there's still an awful lot of capital sitting on the sidelines now. That is real equity. It wasn't borrowed equity like it was the last cycle. Well, let's talk a little bit about the tenant demand side of things. And let's start with a, a real hot hot topic in the office business has been for quite some time, co-working space. We've seen a, a pretty steady trend for several years. I talked about uh, this concept with Chris Butler, WeWork and Industrious, and I think Aregis was kind of the original one and, and these office suite concepts even before that. So you know, I would say it's been a pretty steady trend for some time. COVID really strikes to the, the core of that, right? The, the shared office, a lot of touches, very open communal spaces. Uh, and you also see a lot of landlords with a lot of exposure, you know, in that space. How do you view co-working space broadly? And do you think it's, you know, here to stay? Is it going to go away? Is it, uh, you know, how, how do you view that, that market, that sec segment evolving? I try to look at this uh, with the light at the end of the tunnel. And that is, if a vaccine comes at us in the next six months, do I answer this question the same way 
is this having a behavioral change with our tenancy that is going to be with us for a very long period of time? There's an awful lot of geniuses out there that think they have all of the answers and they don't because we really don't know. But I will tell you that there are tenants that we know that are in fact looking at this long term. Uh, they are thinking with more of a remote workforce. They're thinking about more hoteling. And that's uh, going to be interesting to follow because once again, if a vaccine comes in, is this a behavioral thing that's going to go on forever? Let's remind ourselves that many tenants were already exploring the pre-pandemic about the fact that they were densifying maybe too much. So they were beginning to look at changes here in the first place. Now let's segue over to WeWork. And you brought up Regis. Isn't it interesting that their model going in might be looked at today as more friendly because it has so many walls. It has so much separation very expensive space to build out. On the other hand, I have looked at WeWork's floor plan, and for the life of me, I cannot figure how to economically break that back up into making it more efficient with a social distancing in mind. Industrious, you brought them up. I think they actually are sitting in a much better place based on the model that I've seen and the floor plans I've seen, that they could probably repurpose that a heck of a lot easier. Uh, but it gets back to the beginning of this behavioral change. Is this to here to stay or not? And we're going to have to adapt. I would say you're also going to see an evolution of the deal, the deal terms of those in addition to the space designs. I don't see them being real anchored tenants going forward. I think lenders and owners, institutions are kind of afraid of that tenancy. You think you have big credit, but now you have a big competitor in your building that's selling the same, same space. I think you'll start to see those look more like management agreements on a go-forward basis than, than true leases, but we'll see on that. Well, a quick sidebar on that, Andrew. I, For whatever the reason is, I looked upon what the phenomena of WeWork. I almost looked like that is the way Wall Street was reacting last cycle, that they got way too exuberant uh, with this business model, and this thing exploded. Uh, out into, and this is pre-pandemic, they were still having problems, right? That's an outlier, WeWorks, quite candidly. But as you just suggested, they are uh, causing some tremendous financial turmoil inside of some companies and some landlords that own properties that they're in. We have a few in this in this town. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're not taking 1,200 square foot spaces. So they're lar large blocks of space when they're taking them. But I also would say that business model is still very attractive, not just for the sole proprietor, but for the, the growing and shrinking, you know, the scale up, scale down of business, market entry, you know, something that you don't know if you're growing rapidly and you're going to need more space and more space and more space. So I think there's a lot of attraction to that flexible model. But between the credit and the new designs, it will be interesting to see how that falls out. Dan, on the tenant demand side, a lot of people that I've been talking to have been working from home. As I said, to kick this off, this is my first broadcast actually from the office. And what it's taught me, and I'm sure many others, is how productive you can be across the board. Uh, and that has led some to say, maybe they need a lot less office space. Maybe going forward, I can have a lot more people work from home. I had someone tell me they could use as much as 50% less office. Without giving too much of my opinion, do you think that's a little bit of a knee-jerk reaction? Or do you think that is going to affect uh, office demand on a go-forward basis as people reinvent their how they work? I don't think that answer uh, can be really uh, defined today as much as it could probably be defined in the next two to three years. 
let's face it, we're hunters and gatherers, we're social, and how will productivity be affected by the remote workforce? We're all suggesting that we're really productive right now. This has been forced upon us. We're adaptive. I get it. But what's it look like over the next two years? We haven't played in this pool before. Some of the larger tenants, Price Waterhouse is probably a live example. They've, they were probably more prepared for this pandemic than any tenant that I know. On the other hand, they've got a lot of their workforce that are not necessarily happy with the way those, their days in the office are scheduled in. So you can't please everybody, I get it. But I think this answer is really in front of us and it's, uh, you know, we're just projecting at this moment in time. I, I agree. I think right now, everyone's uh, knee jerk and it, it will, will come back. I know I can tell, I can speak for, for me and for Franklin Street to say that, you know, we, we work together. We, you know, we, yes, we can be, we've been in Microsoft Teams and using Zoom for years. This, you know, one note, one, one drive, SharePoint, Microsoft Whiteboard. I mean, we've been working virtually forever, but nothing replaces being in a room with your team, talking about uh, what you need to work through, having those, you know, seeing those expressions, even the video call, right? It's just still not the same as being in person. So, I think it's it's maybe a little bit overstated, and you know we'll see how it shakes out in the next couple of years. I 100% agree. Pat, this has been a really great, informative talk. I always enjoy it. I certainly want to give you the opportunity to uh, offer any closing thoughts that that you may or may not have. Well, I think that um, I've been through just about every cycle known to man as it relates to commercial real estate since I started in the business in the 70s. So I've seen probably six recessions of uh, varying kinds. This one was not on my bucket list. I did not expect it. Nobody did. We've gotten into it different and how we get out of it is going to be a heck of a tutorial. And I'm actually, um, I'm going to use the word excited. I'm excited about how to play out this thing. It's going to test all of our skill set. Uh, it's a roll up your sleeves uh, sort of a situation. It's not good form to say this is going to create opportunities, but quite candidly, it's going to create some opportunities that our industry is going to be uh, uh, repurposing itself with. And that's a dual word. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Great. Well, I, I appreciate everybody joining us today. We at Franklin Street are trying to uh, be thought leaders and bringing real-time boots on the ground knowledge to, to our clients uh, and partners. And this is an unprecedented time for sure. And the only way I know to get through those things are, are by working together. So I hope you guys have been enjoying our street talk. We're going to continue to put out great content. If you have any suggestions on how we can improve it or topics you'd like to see us cover, uh, feel free to, to email our, our marketing department. You can find them on our website. Uh, follow us on all of our social media and uh, you know, see you next time. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Street Talk by Franklin Street. Have a question about something you heard on the street? Visit podcast.franklinst.com to send us your questions and listen to more insights.